Today on the Squadcast, you'll hear Ted Cluck continue our series in Romans chapter 12. Once again, this is from Fellowship Weekend 2023, where our counselors and support staff gathered to prepare for the upcoming summer ministry. Though we near the end of our summer ministry as of this recording, there are plenty of other ways you can be involved at Susqua coming up, including our upcoming Harvest Festival, retreats, winter camps, and more. So for more information about that, visit our website at susqua.org. Thanks for listening to the Squadcast today. Let's listen in. feedback been? Has it been positive out there for you? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's something. Yeah, it's a start. Um, no, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be back this morning. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank people for all the, all the good conversations we had last night and this morning. And um, it's joyful to be here 
And thanks for being kind to my son, Maxim. We're, uh, we're all loving it. So um, this morning, we're, we're going to talk about the Christian, the world, and our bodies. Uh, we'll be back in Romans 12. Uh, my, my relationship with my body has been weird and complicated. So I'm going to talk about my relationship with my body, my relationship with the world. Um, and then we'll read a passage and spin out a few implications. So um, growing up, had this... Uh, so I grew up in the 80s, which as we talked about last night, 80s and 90s. 80s was Apex Mountain for a certain kind of um, lawmaking and lawkeeping amongst believers. It was sort of like, uh, get your ticket punched to heaven, and then grit your teeth and try really hard to do all the right things, and, and that was it. And kind of baked into this was what I call sort of Christian athlete theology, which is God is my lucky wristband. God uh, exists to make sure that... Uh, all my dreams come true, provided I put on for him every once in a while. Um, and so this is kind of the environment that I grew up in athletically and had this idolatrous relationship with football where it was the vehicle through which I received approval from people, um, from my, my parents and adults and people in my school. I was shy. Uh, it gave me social capital. Um, it gave me a lot of juice, right? So it, it occupied a very idolatrous place in my heart. Um, and maybe you have something like that. And my first brush with um, the Lord in retrospect sanctifying me, even though I didn't look at it that way back then, was an injury. My senior year of high school um, broke my right lower leg in half, um, then did it again my freshman year in college. Uh, had a big operation, and the Lord was disabusing me of this idol. I thought that um, that was going to be the end for me. I thought I'd never play again. Uh, and I was very angry. I was very bitter about it. And I remember thinking, and this is to my shame, and it's so stupid and so ridiculous, but this is the irrational part of the non-believer. I remember thinking in college, I don't want to be in college without this, right? I don't want to be a regular kid. Um, and then I remember thinking... Maybe I don't even want to be alive without this, because what does my life look like? Which is so dumb and so shameful, but uh, it's where my heart was at at the time. Um, I used to pray for, for strength. Gosh, I was such an idiot. Like, I wanted to be the strongest person, right? I wanted to be the king of the jungle. Um, my body used to be a vehicle for lust, to my shame. Um, and I sinned in a lot of ways that way, but, but God's grace is big enough to cover it. Um, my relationship with the world has been weird and complicated. Uh, I used to love the world. Maybe some of y'all still like really love the world. I used to love the idea of fame, um, the idea of the approval of the world coming via fame and renown. I remember having this like uh, feeling that if I could only sign an autograph, then it would prove that I existed, that I was on the planet, that I mattered to somebody. And I had this experience when I was a senior in high school. Um, I, I was working at, a, at the Indianapolis Colts training camp as a ball boy. Like they would hire like local athletes or whatever to come and work as ball boys. And I was a senior, I was about to go off and play college football and I was pretty big. And I had this experience where the day of work got over and then I went back down on the field to work out myself. And as I was leaving the field, this group of like towny girls pulled up in a car. Um, from Anderson, Indiana, Anderson girls. Uh, I was excited. So these towny girls pulled up and they rolled down the window and they asked me for my autograph. They thought I was a player because I was wearing team gear. And I remember thinking, I could go into this explanation 
right? Like I could tell them that I'm not a player. Um, but I just signed it because I wanted to know what it would feel like, right? Um, so I tried to do it all nonchalant like the, like the real players do where they're kind of, you know, they're kind of like half looking, half looking away. And, um, I remember doing it and feeling like just a huge scumbag afterwards because I had lied to them essentially. Um, but I used to dream about that approval of the world and fame and money and sex. Um, but now, because of Christ, I'm able to see the world for what it is, right? Um, I'm able to see it for what it is, and I'm still able to work and hustle and hopefully achieve and play sports, but not idolatrously. The Lord gave me the sport back after a few years, so I uh, had to stop playing my sophomore year of college. Uh, met KK, who had a staunch... I will date athletes policy in place for herself, which is probably wise. Um, I was like, great, I'm not an athlete anymore. I got hurt. We can, we can run this. Um, but married her, went overseas for a year, got back, the leg was feeling better, and started playing again and really have never stopped. Um, and what's great about that is the Lord gave me the sport back um, in such a way that I, I, I could enjoy it without making it an ultimate thing. Um, and that's been kind. So I want to I want to read Romans 12, 1 through 2, and then I want to make three points about it and ask a question. Here we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, my goodness, that's beautiful, and there's so much in there, and I'm, I'm going to try and do it justice. I'm sure I'll fail, but bear with me. Uh, point number one, Christians are to give themselves entirely to God because of his saving grace. Christians are to give themselves entirely to God because of his saving grace. And I remember when I was young, there were these areas of my life that I didn't want to give entirely to God, right? Um, there was the football idol, there was sexuality, there were these things that I was kind of cordoning off in my life while still reciting the lines to please people. Um, and it took the hound of heaven pursuing me to repentance and cutting me down and breaking me of that um, so that I could repent and receive God's saving grace. Um, this grace is freely given, meaning that we don't have to earn it, and in fact, we can't, right? Uh, and a lot of us do try to earn it. We have this kind of moral economy of what I've done that's good versus what are the kind of secret evil things that I'm trying to counteract. Um, we don't have to earn it, and we can't. The grace is good. Sometimes I forget this, right? Sometimes in the, the sort of dusty, stodgy theolo theological community that I run in, we forget to talk about how good God's grace is, because that feels experiential. But I, I can tell you that it is so good, and it's so joyful. And it allows me to think about failure in a different way. It allows me to think about achievement in a different way. It allows me to think about my body in a different way. It frees me from some things, which we'll get into. Um, so the grace is freely given, the grace is good, and the grace finally is sufficient to cover a multitude of sins, including all the gross stuff that you and I have ever done. Um, Douglas Moo says this, our obedience is the product of something God has done in our lives and not something we can manufacture on our own. 
So in my kind of 80s legalist economy of get my ticket punched to heaven, grit my teeth, try to do enough good, um, I can never do enough good, right? So Lou says, the obedience is the product of something that God's done in my life, and I can attest to that. So if we want to be more obedient, we need to pray for an obedient spirit, and the Lord will be faithful in this. The Lord has never not been faithful in that. When I pray for an obedient spirit, opportunities to obey, um, the Lord has always honored that. Number two, Christians are whole persons whose bodies and souls belong to God. Christians are whole persons whose bodies and souls belong to God. This has implications then for how I do my sports, right? Um, I'm no longer then able to have sports and my body and my strength and my performance as an idol. Um, and it was idolatrous before Christ. It has implications for my self-image, right? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Even if I don't conform to society's image of perfection, I used to be really hung up on this, bless you. Um, I remember when I first met KK, um, she was from Michigan, I was from Indiana, I grew up in Corn, aforementioned. Um, she grew up with this beautiful, like, mysterious lake culture in Michigan, and uh, her grandparents had a cottage, what they called a cottage, on this beautiful spring-fed lake in northern Michigan called Torch Lake. And like a month after we had met, um, KK invited me up to the cottage for a week. And in my mind's eye, the cottage was like a little, a little fishing shack, right? Like, like four walls and a roof. Um, she's like, you know, it's a little bit bigger than that. Um, she's like, think Cottage Living Magazine. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. But um, her, parent, her grandparents had some money, so I was nervous. I was really nervous. And I'm pale, I have pale Germanic skin, right? So I knew it was going to be a lot of shirts and skins up at the cottage, right? So I was starting to think about this and perseverate over it. And my best friend Russell, his mom worked at a video store that had a tanning bed in it. And yeah, I know, clutch, right? That's a big deal. So I went to Russell's mom. I'm like, here's the deal. Here's my problem, right? I got a couple of weeks before I go up north, and I got I to gotta get this in shape. So she gave me all the free tanning I wanted, and I remember being obsessed without that. Um, What's a video store? Yeah, a video store is this place where, dude, video stores were magical, weren't they? Um, Blockbuster, Family Video, remember Family Video? You would go in there, and I, I would go in with my roommate, my college roommate, Kirk Logan, Kirkulies. And <laughs> Kirkulies was like forever stuck in the 80s. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. But he had like, he had like 80s feathered hair, he drove an 80s car, he played 80s music on his guitar, but... Hercules would go to the video store, and God love him, he would read every word of copy on the back of every box. It was like a two and a half hour ordeal to get that guy to pick a movie, but, um, but we did it. Uh, so my body belonging to God is a grace and a freedom. As New Covenant Christians, we no longer offer animal sacrifices, but rather we offer ourselves as people who have been brought from death to life. Douglas Moo says we give ourselves to God as his sacrifices when we understand his grace and its place in our lives. Um, so my body no longer belonging to myself means I can enjoy whatever the Lord gives me in terms of football. I can enjoy what the Lord's given me in terms of my marriage. So this has implications for my sexuality, right? Um, my sexuality is limited by God to one woman bound together by the covenant of marriage. Again, this seems like foolishness to the world, but for those of us who know it, 
and who know someone like that, there's great joy in it. 26 years of the same person, our bodies are degrading, right? Um, I look at pictures of us when we were 20, and I'm like, my goodness, we were good looking. You know, like, where did that go? But, um, but it's a joy to give myself to her in that way, and likewise for her to me. Um, for me, it occupies, this grace occupies the most important place in my life. It has become the most significant thing about me. Uh, more than my family. Uh, out in the world, even in Christian circles, we're tempted sometimes to idolize our families. Uh, my generation of parent, we are, um, I'm guilty of this, right? I've been guilty of it this weekend. We, we have such this propensity to compete in that way and brag and post pictures and, and feel competitive about our kids and what they're doing. Um, but if Christ, if grace occupies the most significant place in my life, it frees me from having to compete about my family and how perfect my kids are and how great they are. My kids can have struggles. Um, I can have struggles and I can talk honestly about those things. So more than my family or my achievements or my education or any other single thing. Um, so this changes how I talk, right? Uh, it changes how I talk about my life. It changes how I talk about my ambitions. It'll change how you guys talk to campers this week because chances are they have idolatrous relationships with all these different things, right? Be it their image, their sexuality, their persona, their sport, uh, whatever they do to get approval from the world. Number three, speaking of the world, Christians live in a world that has fallen, as, that has fallen and evil just as Paul's world was fallen and evil. So Paul was writing into this context that, that was really shot through with total depravity, right, and evilness and fallenness. Sexuality is elevated to God status in our culture. Um, I was talking with Peter this morning about how people, young people, don't know how to be friends apart from sexuality, right? It's like we skipped friendship and we moved right to um, this other place. Identity politics are elevated to God status. The present evil age threatens those who belong to Christ, and we are to resist its pressures. So what does this mean? And what does it mean to renew our minds? It is the means by which we transform our behavior. So simply stated, a new orientation in our thinking leads to a new orientation in our behavior. So shot through this is the idea of uh, when we become Christians, we don't check our minds at the door. Um, we become great thinkers, and we need to be about this work, right? So we're pushing ourselves to let scripture and truth inform our lives and inform our thinking, and in doing so, renew our behavior. Um, and this has implications for how we approach conflict, right? I know people who, they have to win in every interaction, right? Do you know people like this? Like every conversation is like a competition, they have to win it by being better or being right or being the best. I remember that summer at the cottage, very first summer, I had done all the tanning so I looked great. Uh, shout out to Russell's mom. But um, I get up there and KK's, and gosh I really hope these people don't listen to the podcast, but they won't. Um, KK's rich uncle had a cottage right next door. And I was 20. I had no money, I didn't have two pennies to rub together. And he comes over, and he's like, so? He's like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, gosh, Gary, uh, I don't know. Like, can we just skip to the part where I say you win the interaction and I can, I can be done? Like, you win. Look at, look at this beautiful place, you know. Um, so the world is inclined to compete in that way. Um, 
But if I have this new orientation, it informs how I approach conflict, um, meaning that I can, if I've wronged somebody, and I'm under the conviction of the spirit, and I've had to do this, you guys, because I talk for a living. Um, and it's the worst time to talk for a living. And sometimes I offend people because sometimes I'm a jerk and my heart's hard and I say the wrong things, right? But if I really believe this, that I've been transformed, I can go to a person and say, I'm so sorry I hurt you in this specific way, will you forgive me? And I tell my students on day one, giving and receiving grace is the best part of my job. And if we can do that together, then that is this working, right? More than getting a degree or learning how to write a great piece or even being like the cool counselor at camp. If we can practice giving and receiving grace, that is this working. And it is foolishness to the world, right? It's foolishness to a world that needs to win every interaction, uh, but it's joyful and good for us. It changes how I approach my sexuality, right? Um, if I'm believing this, if I'm believing that God is good and that God is working and that God um, loves me and wants good for me, then I don't have to be a user, right? I don't have to be an opportunistic scumbag sexually. Um, I don't have to chase every image. I don't have to use every person that I encounter. Um, there's trust there. There's trust that God will provide exactly what I need when I need it. Um, and then finally, it informs how we think of our own identities. Right? Um, it takes perfection off the table because Christ is the only perfect human, right? And I'm not going to get there. If my chief identity is that of a man who loves Christ, and has been redeemed by his blood, how will my life reflect this? And there are risks inherent to it, right? Um, we would be foolish not to think of the risks. I went to grad school in a, a secular creative writing program, um, which being a Christian in that environment, was, it was like I had two heads, like I was an alien. You know, they're like, what are, you, what are you doing here? Did you get lost on the way to like Bible camp or whatever? Um, and that was risky, right? Uh, they didn't, they hated everything I believed in there. Um, and you will encounter this in the world, even, um, even in little shallow ways. So we live, in, we live in this community that's like, I call it a big small town or a small city. And we have just enough like insufferable hipsters in that community to have some good food and some good coffee shops. And uh, they just opened a new coffee shop in our town called Turntable Coffee. And all the hipsters in my college environment are just in love with Turntable Coffee. And I, I hadn't been down there. I finally went to Turntable, and it looks like every coffee shop in every city in the world, right? Like the exposed brick, the ductwork, the, you know, the, the, the pale wood, um, the light, casual, like, gay erotica on the bookshelves. And, and uh, you know, so, so all these vestiges of the world, right? And I remember going there to order my coffee and thinking, these people hate everything that I stand for, right? And if, if we were to really conversate about what we thought about the world, they, they would not like me. And that's the calculus in this, right? Um, there are risks inherent to what we believe, which is why this bond is so important. It's why this summer is so important. And it's why your bond with each other and your relationships and your reconciliation and how you reconcile in Christ is so important. So the question is, how does the summer camp reflect this uh, in terms of how you relate to others, in terms of how you view your own 
limitations when you have them. Peter was explaining the schedule of camp, how you go from Saturday to Saturday, and then the kids leave, and you have like, I don't know, a couple hours to pull it all together, and then you got another like truckload of kids. That seemed wild to me. It just seems astonishing. I think that would break me. Um, it's amazing that, that you guys do it, and it will push you and stretch you in ways that will reveal your limitations, right? But if I have been renewed, if I'm transforming my mind and my heart because of Christ, how we deal with that becomes completely different, right? Um, we submit these things to the Lord in prayer. We reconcile with each other. We acknowledge our limitations and our sinfulness. And we let God's grace speak into it. Uh, let me pray for us. And then we'll do, we'll do a little more vamping, all right? We'll do a little more Q&A. So if I didn't get to your thing last night, we'll get to it this morning. We'll give away some more books. Where's my book guy? He's right there. I'll bring you up after the prayer, okay? Um, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of Romans 12. Thank you for this practical theology that we have that informs what our lives are supposed to look like, what obedience is supposed to look like, how there's grace, Lord, that's sufficient to cover all the ways that I've sinned and all the ways that I will sin. And, and yet, Lord, I'm compelled Right now, for myself, for these counselors and techs and engineers, um, just to ask for an obedient spirit, I, I pray that you and your grace would be preeminent this summer. I, I pray that you would be preeminent in all things and that you would hold all things together at, at Camp Susk, that you would hold the staff together. Um, I pray that any sorts of of conflicts would be resolved in ways that, that elevate you and that celebrate the gospel and that you would be magnified in our interactions this summer. In your name, amen. All right, Mazzy, bring the books up. Let's clap it up again for young Max and Clark. Now let's get, let's get a couple questions. Let's give some books away. Let's go with my guy Connor right here. Uh, Davis is here, right? Oh, okay. Okay. This is big. This is so massive. And Davis knows I'm a huge uniform guy. I spend way too much time thinking about sports uniforms. And I, I love all things uniform related. Um, I would go... I actually want to hear you on this. Okay? Um, yeah, I want to hear your... your Dude, the, the Yankees... Here's the thing. If we, could, if we could separate ourselves from, like, the ethos of the Yankees, that the uniform is a banger. Don't you agree, Davis? That, that uniform goes pretty hard. The road uniform, the road grays, the home pinstripes, no thanks. Dude, the road grays are beauties. They are, yes. they are unbelievable. Yes. Um, so so you're the road, the road now because the maker's mark and the advertisements. Okay. Yeah, no, I get it, I get it. Yeah, the advertisement thing is weird. We could do a whole set of minutes on that. But So for my, for my Apex Mountain jersey-wise, I'm going with, like, the 1990s Detroit Lions. Honolulu blue, like the Barry Sanders, Silverdome era Lions. You have that nice Honolulu blue jersey, the old-school line on the helmet, the silver pants. It just looks so good on TV. It looks so good on that AstroTurf and the Silverdome. Beauty. Um... I want to get your non non Yankee favorite uniform. Uh, man. I mean, I can throw a 
Dude, yeah, any powder blue MLB uniform I feel like I'm in on. But yeah, that was a beaut, dude. Also in the AstroTurf era, Bo Jackson looked great in it. Dude, unbelievable unit. Yeah, there was nothing that guy can, you've seen, I'm sure, the, the tape of him like breaking the bats over his knee and over his head. Um, that's, a, that's a built different kind of guy. Uh, love it. Can I, can I get you a book? Would you like? Yeah. yeah. What are you in the mood for? Surprise. I'm gonna surprise you. Let's go a little. Uh, let's go a little international adoption. How about that? A little memoir, some storytelling, some haws, but some serious stuff. We'll go right there. Let's get another one. Oh man, so many at once. Um, let's go. Let's go back row right there in the yellow t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's really good. My favorite course is this, um, this course called Creative Nonfiction. So Creative Nonfiction is a genre started, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 years ago. And it was when a couple things happened, non-famous people writing memoirs, right? So prior to like 25 years ago, you had to be like an ex-president or like Keith Richards or whoever to write like a memoir about your life. Um, but 20, 25 years ago, David Foster Wallace started doing it. Um, these other, I, I know. Yeah, I'm like a broken record. You, you knew it was coming. I love David Foster Wallace. But um, it, the, the way that creative nonfiction works is you can write about real life and the living using some of the conventions of the novel, right? So you're building characters, you're drawing out these rich characters, you're, you're weaving in plot. There's a point to these stories. But a memoir, like that's a memoir, but it, it really just contains five or six years, right? So a memoir is not a biography, it's not a life story in many cases. Um, so in creative nonfiction, we read these amazing things. We read uh, a memoir, a piece of immersive journalism, and an essay collection. So for essay collection, we do a supposedly fun thing I'll Never Do Again by David Foster Wallace. For the immersive piece, we read Friday Night Lights by H.G. Bissinger which is the best-selling uh, sports book of all time, still in print, uh, absolute banger, it's unbelievable. Great movie, too. Um, I really love Friday Night Lights, the movie. And then for the memoir, we read that. We read uh, my adoption memoir, Hello, I Love You. So um, I love the class. It's where I see the most like takeoff for them as writers. Um, because by and large, like even people who go to college for writing, they aren't really readers. You know what I mean? So they haven't had this rich, like, runway of reading, especially in nonfiction. So for a lot of them, it's their first experience reading a nonfiction book that they love or that they're engaged by or that they enjoy. Um, and then I just let them practice. So they have to turn in a 40-page packet at the end. And on syllabus day, they're like, they're freaking out. They're like, clock, I can't write 40 pages. I'm not going to be able to do it. And I'm always like, people who are way less smart than you have done it. Like, just trust me. So I'm kind of their Sherpa of this conversational conversational mountain of creative nonfiction. And man, we, we talk. And you, you can't talk about work like that without bringing in worldview. So we always end up talking about the gospel and about the Lord. And um, it's great on a friendship level, but it's great on a writing level, too. Love the class. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hook you up with a, a memoir from that. Um, so here you go. Yeah. A couple more. All right, let's go. Let's go this gentleman right here. 
Yeah. What sport do you play? Oh, that's awesome. What a great sport. I've never played rugby. I played a season of Australian rules football once. There were these Australian guys who lived in Indianapolis, and I saw like a flyer on the wall, and I ended up playing with those guys. It was wild. Um, but yeah, I mean, your experience is pretty common, right? So where, where do you go to school? Okay, yeah. So a lot of these small colleges, um, they'll keep the lights on and the doors open by having athletics and offering like every sport and hoping that people come to the college to play the sport. We have a similar dynamic at Union in that we, you know, we're a Baptist school, we have around 4,000 students and we're distinctly Christian, but our athletics operation is Division II, which Division II is scholarship, mercenary, competitive. Um, so our student body is comprised almost entirely of two people groups. One people group is like homeschool Christian kids, and the other people group is mercenary athletes, and there's this wide chasm between the two groups that I'm forever kind of trying to bridge. So it's hard, man, I sympathize with where you're at. Um, you know, I, I think for me it would just be trying to set a good example in terms of how you treat people, and you know, how you resolve conflict, how you approach your teammates. I would encourage you to enjoy them, you know, just enjoy them as people. And that can seem kind of counterintuitive, but I, I think the Lord's allowed me to make a lot of rich relationships with non-Christian teammates over the years just by enjoying them as people. I, I remember one time, this was 2006, I was playing arena football. And so arena football, it's like regular football, but it takes place in like hockey arenas on AstroTurf. So the rosters are smaller. So there might be like 20, 20, 22 guys on a team, something like that. And this team I was playing for, we're taking these bus trips all over the, the Midwest and the Northeast. We played in Rochester. And on the Rochester trip, um, the bus stopped at a strip club, right? And I was married. And, you know, everybody's trundling off the bus to go into the strip club. And I, I stayed on the bus. And they're like, they called me the paper boy because they knew I was a writer. And they're like, hey, boy, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm staying here, guys. And they're like, why? You gay? You know, like, I'm like, no, I, I just, I love my wife and I love the Lord. I'm staying here. And it didn't damage the relationship. If anything, it grew it, right? Because they were intrigued and, you know, eventually they start coming, coming to me to talk about their relationships and asking me about my wife and about my marriage. So... You know, in God's economy, none of that's accidental, right? Like, none of, those, none of those interactions that you have with people are accidental. Even the awkward ones, even the ones that feel strange in the moment, the Lord will use that. So, um, I would say continue being who you are. Be unabashedly Christian, but also be a good dude about it, you know? Um, be a good hang, right? Sometimes Christians are bad hangs, um, just because we're so sort of... I don't know, unwilling to know people who are different than us. So um, be unabashedly who you are in Christ, but be a good hang. Uh, that would be my advice. So let's, let's get you a book. What are you feeling? We've got adoption memoir, uh, graphic novel for kids, or happy rent.
Do the happy ring. There you go. Love it. Yeah. All right. Who's next? Yeah, it's okay. It's yours now. You can do whatever you want with it. You can throw it all over You know, it's not going to hurt my feelings. I mean, maybe a little bit. Send it to God. But uh, let's see. Gosh, let's go right here. Yeah, great question. Um, thank you for asking. It's healing and cathartic for me to talk about. But um, no, this is wild, man. And this is um, this is just the Lord. Right, because I couldn't have engineered any of this. So we're going back now to like the early 2000s. I was young, I was in my early 20s, and stuff was starting to pop for me as a writer. So I started writing for ESPN the magazine and the dot com, and was starting to dabble in, in book deals. So I, I was writing my Tyson book, my book about Mike Tyson and the boxer. And concurrent with that, the church that I was going to at the time was a PCA church. Um, they hired a new pastor, and the new pastor was Kevin Young. And he was this whippersnapper, kind of right out of seminary, you know, right out of like West Michigan Dutch kid central casting, you know. Um, and he comes to my church, and I start hearing him preach, and I didn't know anything at the time, right? I was pretty young in my faith and young in terms of theology, but I remember hearing him preach, and I turn to my wife and I go, This dude's gonna be the next John Piper. Like, he had that kind of gifting in terms of expositing the word and being good in the pulpit and preternaturally gifted at a young age. So he knew that I had done some writing. He knew I was into sports. So we kind of just started hanging out as friends. Um, my family's from Chicago. His family's from Chicago. So we, we would watch Bear games together and talk about the Bears and how bad they were and all that. And we would bond over that. Um, and then a strange thing happens in that... Like 2005, 2006-ish was the start of this thing called the Emergent Church. And I don't even know if that brand name means anything to you guys. Probably not because it, it came and went. I think KDY and I helped kill it. But um, the Emergent Church was sort of postmodern philosophy infiltrating the church. This kind of cool approach to question everything and make the journey the destination. And it, and it really, at its worst, sought to devalue the authority of scripture, um, question the deity of Christ, question what happened on the, the, the cross, right? And what, what was happening, though, was the young people in our church were giving me these emerging church books to read, thinking that I would vibe with them somehow because I had long hair and I looked weird, right? So they were giving me these books by like Rob Bell and Brian McLaren, and I'm reading them, and I would just underline everything that sounded like whack to me. And I really respected Kevin's like theological education. So I would bring in these books and I'd go, all right, dude, here's the deal. I underline everything that seemed crazy to me. You tell me if it's actually crazy or not. And he would look through and he'd be like, yeah, that's actually crazy. Like this is heresy. And so what happened was we decided to, to pitch this book. By that time I had done like three secular market sports books. He hadn't written anything. And we started to pitch this book called Why We're Not Emergent by Two Guys Who Should Be. Because demographically, we kind of fit the bullseye of, you know, we were young, we grew up in the church, we should be ready to rebel in this way. Um, so I wrote sort of these creative nonfiction-y fun chapters, and he wrote like the stodgy theological chapters. And Moody Publishing put it out, so Moody did the book. Um, it sold really, really well, it got pretty successful, it got pretty popular. Then we did a follow-up book together called Why We Love the Church in Praise of Institutions and Organized Religion. 
Um, and then Kevin got really famous, and I didn't. Um, which, you know, was I bitter about it, maybe, for a little while, but um, not anymore. You know what? It's water under the bridge. I'm over it. My therapist and I are making great progress. Um, I truly am over it, and I'm, and I'm truly thankful for KDY, but I'll say this. No, nobody who gets famous in any walk of life, be it writing or Christian stuff or music or whatever, no, nobody gets famous by accident, right? And I remember sitting in meetings, and this is like early in the blogosphere with like execs at Moody, and they were like, to both of us, they were like, you need to blog every day. And I was like, well, what if I don't have anything to say on a given day? And they were like, well, blog anyway. And I'm like, that feels weird. I'm not going to do that. And Kevin blogged every day. He was like a machine, and he grew that audience. He got famous. He's a very gifted guy. Um, so that's how it happens. Uh, but it's weird, though. It's weird to think of your, your friends getting famous, you know? And then he started hitting, like, the conference circuit, and now he's, like, he's one of the A-listers, I think. You know, he's one of the big guys, like, main staging at these big conferences. So, But he's awesome. He's really talented. Good dude. Um, we're getting low book-wise. We want to go memoir or we want to go kids book? Yes, absolutely. All right, let's do one more question. If we don't get to you today, we'll get to it next time. All right, let's go, uh, let's go right here. Um, my favorite part was, I think how, how one verse did it, right? So I, I can look at that narrative and go, there was nothing of me in it, right? There was nothing of me just figuring it out or reading the right book or whatever. Um, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality among you. I remember hearing this verse, having it absolutely burn me to the ground. And I had this response to it where um, I, I, I felt the guilt like physically in my body. And there was about a week where increasingly I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. Um, you know, I was kind of shivering and cold all the time. And then when I finally repented, when I finally let it all out, uh, I felt this overwhelming experience of God's grace. Even though by the world's economy, I've done a stupid thing. And like, I let people know, you know, my sin. Um, the Lord's message in that was there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, I learned how to repent because of Psalm 51, right? Created me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. So I was just praying scripture to the Lord at that time. And he was so good. Um, to redeem that, and even to redeem the years that the locust had eaten, right? Because I, I was tempted in that time to look back on my, my sin life and go, gosh, I wasted those years. You know, those were horrible years. How can the Lord use it? How can he redeem it? And he redeemed it. He's, he's reconciled relationships and given me joy and made it so that, this is another thing that's foolishness to the world, right? Made it so that I can talk about it I mean, it's like, it's never fun to talk about your own sin, right? You're never going to, like, pull up to a party and sort of suggest that. But, like, I can talk about it now in, in ways that 
can edify others in ways that aren't devastating to me. And again, that's only the Lord, right? Only the Lord can make that true. And so that's, that's a randomly kind of roundabout way of, of answering that question. But I hope it helps. And I hope it's, it's freeing for somebody who, you know, you may be carrying around a, a weight of shame there because of your sexual sin. And I can tell you that there's freedom and joy and grace and goodness and a life and ministry on the other side of it. Um, and God's grace is sufficient to cover that and more. Um, so that was, that was the best thing. I think that was the best. That's a lot of things. Right? I mentioned probably five things in there. But um, really good question. Kids book or memoir? Kids book. Let's go. Love it. Um, you guys, thank you for this. Give yourselves a hand. We'll do it again tomorrow morning. Have a great day. To learn more about Camp Susqua or to register for any of our various programs, visit susqua.org. Oh, give thanks.